4: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC. Or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know what this market loves? It loves transparency. Lots of executives pay lip service to the concept of transparency without ever really doing anything about it. But today, a day that started strong before giving up the ghost, now ultimately gaining just 12 points, s and dipping 0.09%, NASDAQ advancing 0.06%, we saw a triumph of true transparency. I'm talking about Apple. Apple which saw its stock jump 2% in the wake of a spectacular quarter. Back in November of 2018, Apple upset a lot of people when it decided to change the way it reported. Management told us they'd no longer break out the unit sales for iPhones, Macs, iPod, iPads. Why? Because the CFO Luca Maestri explained at the time, the number of devices sold was no longer really a relevant metric in how to value the stock. Oh, the bears immediately came out in full force, arguing that Apple was no longer being transparent. They're obviously doing this to hide disappointing iPhone numbers. After all, why hide, hide those numbers unless something's really wrong? I told you not to worry. And I said what I always say own Apple, don't trade it. But the stock collapsed, falling from $222 down to $142 a few months later when Apple pre announced a hideous shortfall thanks to a decline in their Chinese business. For a moment, it looked like the bears might be right. Maybe Apple really did go all opaque because its best days were behind it. You've heard that chorus. A few days later, I went out to see Tim Cook right at their headquarters. He had a better sense of what was really going on. Well, he said he never felt better about the company. He told me he wasn't surprised by the stock's decline because the market can be emotional in the short term. But he reassured me that the pipeline has, quote, never been better, and the ecosystem has, quote, never been stronger. While it was too soon to reveal what Apple was working on next. He doesn't like to do that. Tim made it clear that I'd be dazzled. So would you. Then the iPhone 11 came out, and that's exactly what happened. Most Wall Street types assumed that this new phone would be nothing special. Number 11? I mean, come on. Yet it turned out to be Apple's biggest blockbuster yet. Why? As Tim Cook told me and Josh Lipton last night, the product is incredible. People love the battery life. They love the camera. Okay, look, I'll be proud moment for a second. Look at this portrait of my wife, Lisa. Hashtag, of course, on iPhone 11. You know, it's just so great. That was one of hundreds of people who sent Tim Cook pictures that they took that were shot by true artists. It looks like, you know, Annie Leibovitz. It looks like Eisenstadt. I mean, it's Arbus. And now it's me. But the most amazing thing about this call last night... The growth of the iPhone itself, which was responsible for the stock's phenomenal surge today. Apple's up 128% since everybody freaked out about this business a little over a year ago. Turns out Apple wasn't trying to be opaque at all when they changed the way they reported. The new pricing plan, starting at $35 a month for $24, months. they have made unit sales kind of a worthless metric like Apple said it would be. Apple has nothing to hide. The phones are selling like crazy. Same goes for the supply-constrained AirPod Pro and the watch. In fact, the only line item that disappointed something was the actual service revenue stream that everyone's so excited about. Up 16%, we wanted 17 Long story short, the people who bet that one of the most transparent companies on Earth was trying to mislead us, have missed out on a stunning move. They couldn't have been more wrong. I hope you listened to me when I told you to stick with it. Hey, I got that one right. I knew the bears were wrong because Apple has a tail. Every time the stock gets slammed, CFO Luca, Ma- Maestri he buys, he, he buys back the stock with both hands. He's actually, like, listening to this. Buy, 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 buy! I mean, the company retired nearly 7% of its shares count this last year alone. And since 2012, they spent $325 billion on repurchases at an average price of $129. You know, by the way, that's 40% of the company's shares. Obviously, most of that happened when the stock got crushed a year ago or, you know, years before the program started. But Meister was in there buying back stock all along. And that's the tale. Companies don't spend massive sums on buybacks if they believe their business is collapsing. They're trying to hoodwink you. Apple is truly transparent. You just had to take Tim Cook at his word you could have made a killing on this one. All right, Who else has embraced radical transparency? General Electric. Under its all leadership, GE seemed determined to obscure every single weak portion of its business, which is pretty much every single part of its business. I only, I only took a year of accounting, uh, but even I uh, could tell GE's bookkeeping smacked more of fiction than fact. There was no way to understand how the company was actually doing. But then that got in this new guy in, Larry Culp, with a traditional industrial background, and he realizes you need to be an alchemist to understand these numbers. When Culp pulled everything apart, he discovered the business was in bad shape. And you know what he did? He told us everything. It was incredibly dispiriting when he revealed how bad things really were. Culp didn't care that it looked bad because he's a straight shooter. So when a forensic sage wrote a 175-page report, I'm not even going to distinguish him by mentioning his name, about how the numbers were really crooked that he was putting out, Culp had a ton of credibility when he responded by purchasing $2 million worth of stock at 7 bucks and change. He called that hit piece Quote, market manipulation pure and simple, end quote. Correct. Cope was already working to write the ship, and sure enough, the stock has roared since the bottom last summer. Then today, GE jumped more than 10% after the company reported an upside surprise. Results were excellent. More importantly, they were easy to get your head around. They looked like the numbers you'd get from um, an industrial. You had a huge winner, and all you had to do was believe Larry Cole, a guy who's given you every reason to trust, including that gigantic open market purchase more than five points ago. Final act of transparency, it's Boeing. Here's a company that reported a hideous loss today, yet its stock rallied more than five bucks. What fueled the move? Simple. Imagine stopped offering us bogus reassurances about the ground at 737 Max. They stopped telling the critics to shut up. Instead, they gave you cold, hard numbers, like the fact that their backlog hasn't gone down. But Boeing also made it clear that they don't know when the MAX will be back in the air. And that's up to the authorities. All they can do is try to make the plane as safe as possible. At long last, they were completely candid. They just don't know. Hearing that was frankly a breath of fresh air. Sometimes transparency means admitting what nobody wants to hear, that the fiasco is costing billions and billions of dollars because that's the price Boeing needs to pay if they're going to get this thing right. And they'll probably end up spending even more before this is over. Why did that very bad news allow the stock to rally? Because Boeing stopped treating everyone like idiots. We were tired of the hubris and the bogus certainty. We kept hearing from the previous regime. It's not like this was a surprise. We knew the max is a disaster. We just needed to hear management be honest about it. The bottom line, investors want the truth. When we get the truth, though, you need to recognize it for what it is, or you could miss out on some tremendous opportunities. It's easy to assume everyone in this business is totally cynical, but taking that approach kept you out of some monster gains at Apple and in GE. Some CEOs have earned the benefit of the doubt, and you should give it to them. Oh, and while I'm at it, guess who may have given the benefit of the doubt to this very evening? None other than Elon Musk of Tesla fame, who has gotten about as transparent as you could get. Well, maybe not as transparent as the other big winner, Saudi Nutella from Microsoft. Joe in New Jersey,
2: Joe. Jim, thank you for taking my call. You're quite welcome. My, my question is on John Deere. With the first phase of the China trade deal complete, will it help the farmers? And uh, how is the coronavirus going to affect the company in terms of Chinese consumption and... By the way, I own John Deere equipment, and let me tell you something, Jim,
4: nothing runs like a deer. I totally agree with you. I own deer equipment, too. Nothing runs like a deer, and the stuff is indestructible. Here's what I have to say. Forget the short-term machinations about uh, China. What matters is deer's a great manufacturer. Phase 1 is good for them. Uh, The uh, ag market right now is weaker, along with all commodities. That's a great time to buy some stock of deer. How about Miguel in Tennessee? Miguel? Jimmy Chill, you a big bet! B- b- booyah from Tennessee, my guy. Jimmy Chill's being tried and tested by the Tesla people, who don't realize that I like it. But go ahead, what's going on?
2: So the Royal Rumble just passed, which means WrestleMania is near. I know it brings a lot of entertainment success. Will it bring stock success for
4: WWE? Well, I'm not as much of a fan. Look, I liked them when they were on, but you know what? You want to play it another way, let's take the derivative. Do take two, where I have to believe that Strauss-Zelnick has been able to capitalize on it more than almost anybody. How about Steve in Virginia? Steve.
2: Hey, Jim, I'll try and be real brief. Um, I'm 57, recently retired, got a decent pension. Um, I'm looking to add CSX to a well-rounded, solid, uh, long-term growth portfolio.
4: Okay. I think it's very smart, uh, but it's not a growth stock. What it is, is a company that's been able to figure out, even with revenue not doing well, how much how much money it can still make anyway with Precision Railroad. All you have to do is look at Norfolk Southern today, where, where, by the way, the volumes were horrendous, and the company cleaned up. That's Precision Railroad. I think that means treating the customer the way the customer should be. Investors want the truth, people, and when they get the truth, you got to recognize it for what it is. Hey, oh man, tonight, the big game, just a few days away. I'm focusing on the companies that can score big for your portfolio. As my countdown to kickoff continues. Then, Penn National just bet on Barstool Sports. So should you be ready for Barstool-branded casinos? I'm talking to the heads of the two companies to find out what the partnership means. And Striker helps people get back on their feet. But can the stock run up on Wall Street or is the recent decline a tad of a red flag? Don't miss my exclusive and stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC miss something head to madmoney.cnbc.com take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com kramer's exclusive ceo interviews full episodes analysis even your own soundboard Plus, special access to MadMoney 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com.
5: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact.
4: With the big game only five days away, I'm spending all this week comparing some of our favorite stocks to the players in Sunday's face-off between the Chiefs and the 49ers. I wish you could say the name of the face-off with the NFL trademarked it. Ever since I started taping the show almost 15 years ago, I've been trying to make the process of investing more accessible for regular people, young, old, doesn't matter. So that's why I like something kind of America's Pastime, the football analogy. If you understand how a given player fits in their team, you can understand how a company fits into a given industry. Now, on Monday, we talked quarterbacks, and yesterday, we talked running backs. Tonight's all about wide receivers, where teams look when they want to gain lots of yards and points in a hurry. In the last few years, there's been a major shift in the league toward passing. This position's become more important than ever. Now, there's a reason most fantasy football drafts almost always include a couple of top-flight wide receivers in their first rounds. And you know their names. I'm talking about Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Devontae Adams. But the fact that there's a small group of stars tells you a lot about the promise and the peril of being a wide receiver. These players are capable of making huge plays, but they can also be erratic. Boom, bust, production. In short, they're just like speculative growth stocks, especially in tech. High risk, high reward players. You can see big gains if you pick the right one. It catches a sustained move. But, oh, but God help if you pick the wrong one. So what's the analogy here? Well, the best wide receiver for Kansas City is somebody I just really love. It's the uh, electric, eclectic to some degree, Tyreek Hill from San Francisco. It's Debo Samuels. Not as good as Tyreek Hill, but for the purposes of our analogy, it'll work. Now, Hill reminds me of the stock of Shopify, the rapidly growing e-commerce facilitator. While Samuel, now he is a rookie, he feels like the stock of Roku. The streaming video play with a stock that's exploded higher over the past year. But as you can see, it can be inconsistent when it comes to stock performance. Okay, let me tell you why. Why don't we start with Tyreek, okay, and the Chiefs. Now, Tyreek's in his fourth season, having established himself as one of the NFL's most exciting and, of course, maybe the fastest player in the NFL. Over the year, he's become an incredibly consistent receiver. You know, he did get injured early this season, but he's a tough kid. After he came back in early October, he fell right back into form, more than 500 yards receiving and five total touchdowns in his first five games post-injury. Most recently, he had a huge game in the playoffs against the Texans, hauling in five, inter- uh, five receptions on seven passes for 67 yards and two touchdowns. Well, best of all, Tyreek Hill is an exciting player. His gains often come in big chunk plays. He averaged 15 yards per reception this season, and that average was weighed down by the fact that he also runs a lot of screen plays. To me, that feels a lot like Shopify. Oh, you know, the cloud-based software company that helps small businesses set up their online stores. Like Hill, Shopify's moves tend to come in big chunks producing some incredible long-term performance. Last year, the stock nearly tripled. It's already up close to 20% for 2020. It does, like Hill, seems pretty unstoppable. Also like Hill, Shopify stock got injured last year, selling off hard, okay, during the big momentum sell-off in the fall like so many other stocks in that same category. Then, come November, the stock bottomed and it came roaring right back, right around the time Tyreek started playing again. Uh, the darn thing has now rallied nearly 200 points in less than three months' time. She gave it a speeding ticket. We foolishly sold this one for my travel trust last summer. It did catch a 50% gain, so woulda, shoulda, coulda, but I am kicking myself because that's unfortunately my nature. In short, Shopify's a great momentum player, and so is Tyreek. Now, while we're on the subject of Kansas City, they also have another terrific wide receiver, and that's Sammy Watkins. His first round draft pick for Buffalo 2014, production's lately folded. Uh, under leadership of Chiefs head coach Andy Reid, though, he's had an amazing resurgence. It kind of reminds me until today when the stock got killed, AMD, a big chip maker on the leadership of is no longer that new CEO, Dr. Lisa Su. For years, this thing was also an also-ran semiconductor play. Now it's an industry leader with a stock that was up close to 150% last year and what's funny about, uh, about this one is if uh, Sammy Watkins' folders like AMD did today, then the game, big game may be won by, yes, the Niners. How about the Niners? Like I told you on Monday, the 49ers are unusual these days and that they have a run-first offense doesn't put up prolific passing statistics. That's not the strategy, so they don't have a really breakout star wide receiver. And their best wide receiver is a guy I actually drafted and then, of course, cut because I was dope. That's Debo Samuel. caught just over 800 yards receiving and added three touchdowns during the regular season because passing is not a huge part of the team's strategy. Still, Debo's a great player. And this was a rookie season, and he was phenomenal at the NCAA level playing for South Carolina. The thing is, he's also a little inconsistent. Full disclosure, Debo was an on again, off again member of the team Kramer. When I look at him. It's like he was off. My team, whenever you got the touchdowns, uh, and by the way, my fantasy team is in the not your average slump a league. I mentioned that because everybody in the leagues will say, why don't you mention the league? I drafted him. I dropped him. I drafted him. I drafted him. Well, anyway, uh, I dropped him then later in November. Just bad call. I keep going back and forth on this guy, though, because it reminds me of Roku, which is I dropped it. I like. I dropped it. I like. I mean, this is the ultimate inconsistent growth stock. Uh, it's a versatile player. They used to be a hardware company making devices that let you stream video from the internet directly to your TV. But in recent years, they've moved aggressively into software. Now Roku's technology gets embedded in most smart TVs. Here, people were betting against it, and they thought Amazon was going to kill it. And then, boom, more software, more, uh, let's say, well, I I would say that it's pretty much in your your TV if you check on it in the new one. We underestimated Roku from the get-go. After it came public in 2017, stock sagging from 30 to 20 out of the gate. Then it rallied to 70 by October of 2018 for melting down to the 30s during the nasty fourth quarter sell off. In the first eight months of 2019, Roku mounted an insane rally. Stock flying all the way to 176 early last September. Then it plummeted below 100 by the end of the month. Boy, is this Dever Debo for rebounding to the 160s in November. Spent the last couple of months drifting lower again, backsliding to 129 as of today. It's just a agonizing stock. In short, Roku's simultaneously up more than 200% over the past 12 months and down roughly 23% from the November highs. Wall Street keeps going back and forth and back and forth on the stock, just like the not-your-average slumped-dick league went back and forth on Debo. In all honesty, I keep getting both of them wrong. I always like to tell you when I get them right, but I also like to tell you when I got them wrong, and Roku's when I got wrong. So what should you do with Shopify and Roku here? I absolutely love Shopify. It's the single best non-Amazon e-commerce play out there, certainly even after Facebook tonight. Uh, kind of, let's just say disappointed. Uh, I've developed a great deal of respect for Roku, though. These are both momentum stocks that trade on revenue growth. Which makes them tough to value. They're both very expensive here on any metric you care to name. And they both have a tendency to sell off hard when the market turns against momentum. That's why I compare them to wide receivers. Because you want to throw the ball to these stocks when they're open. I don't think this is the right time. I think you should wait for a pullback and then you can pull the trigger. Shopify and Roku both report in a couple of weeks. Let's hope they deliver good numbers. And then they'll, and then like, you know, they'll get hit like we saw with AMD today. Bottom line, high-flying tech stocks like Shopify or Roku are just like quality wide receivers, along the lines of Tyreek Hill or, secondarily, uh, Debo Samuel. When everything goes right, they're explosive players who can get their team a significant amount of production in big chunks. But you don't want to be there if they drop the ball. Stick with Tyreek and stick with it.
6: You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
4: Ever since the Supreme Court legalized sports gambling in 2018, we've been looking for potential winners to really step up and take advantage of an amazing opportunity. That's exactly what Penn National Gaming did today. I mean, here's a company that runs dozens of casinos, racetracks, and today they did something huge. They bought 36% equity stake in Barstool Sports, valuing the incredibly popular digital media play at $450 million. Penn National's demographic skew older, and they spent a lot of money trying to attract customers. With Barstool as a partner, they may be able to lure in, well, let's say the company's much younger fan base and rabid fan base. I think it's brilliant. It's not astonishing. It's a great move to give the company a newer, younger public face. More profitable, too. So uh, don't think of me. Let's check in with Jay Snowden, the president and CEO of Penn National, as well as Erica Nardini. She's the CEO of Barstool and El Prez. Dave Portnoy, Barstool's founder. Uh, everyone welcome Thank and congratulations, because this is really one exciting thing. Uh, Erica, I'm starting with you. All right. Uh, you could have been independent. Uh, you were doing unbelievably well. Actually, you had accelerating revenue growth. Why this? Why now?
0: Penn was the right partner for us. They had all the things we wanted. They wanted the Barstool Sports brand. They had the largest retail footprint in the United States. They have a great management team, and they have a shared vision of winning in sports betting, which was something Dave's thought about for a long time and we were very committed to as a company. So
4: I, I, I think it's important you said about Dave talk, thought about it for a long time because I think people might think, wait a second, this is an overnight success. The truth is you've been putting out a rag for a long time.
7: Yeah, we've been around 17 years now, Barstool Sports. It started as a gambling newspaper, Fantasy Sports. I handed it out outside a subway station. So we've been at it a very long time, yeah. Well, uh,
4: Jay, what did you see here? Because the way I look at this is that you have a 55-year-old base, which is not bad. Hey, listen, I ruined your demo. Uh, (laughs) But you've decided to do what, what is really kind of a radical makeover. You've decided to go young.
8: Yeah. Well, when PASPA was overturned in May of 2018 and sports betting became a state-by-state legal opportunity mm-hmm. for us, we're in 19 states. We operate 41 properties, and we are represented in more states than any gaming company in the world. And what we were missing, however, in this equation to really participate in the sports betting opportunity, we didn't have a sports brand. Right. And so we met Dave and Erica in July. And honestly, we met two or three times. You knew a deal was happening. It came together very quickly. They have the, the brand. They have the fan base. We have the distribution. We have the infrastructure. And it really makes a lot of sense.
4: Okay, so uh, where will I see the name Barstool? It will be on an app. It will be at the casino. Are you going to be Barstool?
8: Uh, I don't know about if I'm going to be Barstool, at least in the near future. You will see a Barstool Sportsbook app in August of this okay. year before football season. You will see Barstool Sportsbooks Retail sports books at all of our casinos where it's legal, and you will likely see barstool sports bars uh, throughout our our properties as well. We're very excited about the the brand and very excited about working with Dave and Erica. Uh,
4: Dave, you know, I think that you are the bright star of this year. I didn't say I said it to you behind. I said it to the Eagles game. I just feel it. Uh, But I'm going to ask point blank. Are you going to be compensated enough? Because I think that to some degree you've got a media empire, and I've always felt that a media empire should be a mogul. Will you be a mogul?
7: Yeah, so it's twofold. A, I was compensated well, but for me, the opportunity is so big, I'm trying to get to like buy sports team type mobile. This is hopefully what's going to take us there. And I believe in it a million percent. So, yeah, I I think we're doing pretty well. Everybody's doing pretty well.
8: I would just jump in real quick because when, when we were talking about this deal and how it could come together, I had proposed to both Dave and Erica if the consideration that was going to the two of them could be more pen equity than cash. Yes. And guess what they said? We want the same thing. Didn't even talk to each other. Didn't look at each other. Looked at me and said, We want Pen Equity
4: as well. Well, that's fat. I mean, uh, straight shooting people should yeah. be like that. Uh, I see that they also get One Bite.
0: We'll build One Bite pizza bars, pizza well, restaurants. It could be worth 400 <laughs> But it's still maybe. And now we'll No, have... I'm
4: not saying it's definitely. That's what I do for a living. I know this We love is worth One it. Bite. I think do it's you want to buy it? I think it? Do I want to buy it? I do it in a nanosecond. you kidding me? <laughs> I've had one bite. Let's
7: talk Well, yeah. You may have to buy it from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I mean, but we'll, we'll be putting pizza places, hopefully, in their casinos and things. The- it all plays together. It's hard to separate any of it. Barstool has this huge funnel, and what makes this work is giving some place now to leverage it, you know, to monetize them all by placing the bets, placing orders, all of it. Now,
4: why do you come up with a 7 to $10 billion betting thing? I actually think... That maybe in its infancy it would be that, but it's in—it's not everybody's DNA like it like it is in Dave. But yeah. if it's legal, I thought every Sunday people are trying to figure out whether to take the one or not.
8: Yeah, look, we've built—I think we built this company on under promise, over deliver. Okay. So we're using what are probably conservative estimates. That's for two thousand twenty-five. That's not two thousand thirty. Okay. And then, so I think there's an opportunity, especially as states legalize, because you're making a lot of bets here. Like which states, when does it happen? Right. So we're, we're guessing, but seven to ten billion by
4: 2025 feels like a conservative estimate. But it was amazing. The moment you did the deal, your stock went up more than the price that you're paying. It did. Yeah, that's always a sign of a good deal. Right? Isn't yeah. that what it works? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Erica, let me ask you: some of these casino, some of the casino commissions can be conservative. Mm-hmm. You guys. I don't think you're radical, but there are people, mm-hmm. I'm sure, in the audience right. who say, listen, you're radical. You're worried at all about that some of, the, some of these organizations may say, you know what, I don't know if I think Barcelona's the right thing.
0: You know, we thought about that a lot from the onset of what this partnership would look like. Jay and I spend over a week on the road meeting with every single possible regulator we could meet with. We take uh, gaming regulations really seriously. We will implement those. The way Dave would describe it is if you give us the boundaries, we'll play within the boundaries. So It will create changes within our company from behind the scenes, how we understand what the rules are, making sure we have the right infrastructure to make content that that fits those. But at the end of the day, we make content that breaks through because it resonates and it's real. And it's been real for 17 years. And we have almost 70 million fans who are engaging with us every month. We're going to continue to satiate them. And now we're going to do it with a place we can drive them.
4: And you're comfortable, Jay, with the idea that it's... You know, you're not you're a conservative company, not necessarily in, in the way, you may be conservative, but I mean, you you know that these guys are a different culture.
8: No question. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time, as Erica said, and, and, you know, Dave and I have had conversations. I feel like they understand what those guardrails are. We've talked about it. Eric has heard it mm-hmm. firsthand from regulators with me, and uh, we're all very comfortable. We can pull this off and barstool can be barstool. It's such an amazing company, and it's so so engaged with their they're so engaged with their fans. It's right. so entertaining. They can still be all of that, but be responsible around topics like gambling.
4: Right, so you won't be reined in, right? I still get my I get my press, right?
7: Yeah, I, I would never do a deal. It wouldn't work for anybody. Where I thought we couldn't be us, we're still going to be right. funny, irreverent. But like Erica said, there's guardrails which we totally understand. And throughout. The 17-year history, we've morphed. We understand. There's, we live in different times. There's different jokes you can make. So we'll play with them, and we'll be just as funny, if not funnier, than we've ever been. Well,
4: I don't want to be too touchy-feely with you because it destroys the chemistry. But you've dreamed of this. Yes. And you lived your dream, okay? I want people to hear sure. it. From El Prez, what it's like to live your dream?
7: You know, it's surreal. So for those people who don't know, before I started Barstool, I flew to Vegas and tried to get involved in the casino industry. It was a passion of mine um, to come full circle now and be in the position that I actually want to start out. You know, sometimes you pinch yourself, but it's also a lot of people, I'm sure, out there who may doubt us, and that drives me. So I, I can't wait to attack this. It's something I've dreamed about. It's the perfect you know, mixed, perfect relationship. So I'm excited to do it. I don't let myself dream too much. We're too much in the reality.
4: All right. And, uh, you know, best in terms of the dream. Though you were born basically in the casino world. Yeah. Look, this is...
8: Uh, who would have thought three years ago even that you'd have an amazing sports media company and platform coming together with a gaming company with 41 properties? and Like, who would have thought? And But the sports betting is bringing it all together. It's our nexus to... Um, really thinking about the future and to targeting a younger demographic. Well, you L- were L- five. Stumble. Your
4: mom was a dealer.
8: Yes, and I used to go pick up paychecks with her at the Frontier in Las Vegas and just knew I wanted to be in the business as a kid. And um, here we are talking about a whole different opportunity with sports betting.
4: Well, look, I want to congratulate all you guys. I mean, it's just one exciting thing, and I hope it's the beginning. I'm glad you're staying with it. I'm glad you're being compensated. You know I think you guys are worth a great deal, and thank you for giving them what they're worth. We care about them. They're worth betting on. You bet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's Erica Nardini and Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports. And Jay Snowden is the Penn National Presidency. Take a look at that stock. And you know what? Given the fact of what's going on in Macau, this is the gambling stock to own. my Money's back in. Right On one of the busiest days of earnings season, I do not want you to overlook some of the companies that aren't getting enough credit from this market. I'm talking about companies like Stryker, the medical device play that makes orthopedic implants, especially knee and hip replacements, along with surgical equipment and neurotechnology. We're going to hear more about that for head and spine injuries. Last night, Stryker reported a strong quarter, modest top and bottom line beep eight percent organic revenue growth, solid full year guidance. Yet the stock got hit anyway, to slipping. 1.6%. This is the buying opportunity. Uh, it's had a massive run. That's why it went down, I think. So let's take a close look with Kevin Lobo. He's the chairman CEO of Stryker. we learn more about the quarter. He's with us for the first time in five years. And by the way, the stocks returned close to 170% since that last interview, trouncing the S&P 500. So, Mr. Lobo, welcome back to Mad Money. Congratulations <laughs> from the quarter. Good to see you, sir. Jim, thank you. Have good, a seat. Good to be back. Um, in many ways, uh, we talk a lot about the millennials, but the baby boomers are aging. And they are basically in your hands, aren't they?
3: Yeah, demographics certainly play to our favor with the technologies that we have to offer. They play to the aging population, whether it's a hip or knee replacement, whether it's stroke. Uh, It really does uh, give us a tailwind for growth.
4: Well, is that one of the reasons why you've had seven consecutive quarters uh, of accelerating organic sales growth?
3: Well, really, that's the engine of our growth has been new product development, where mm-hmm. we've really spent an increased amount of money on R&D, going from 5% of revenue to over 6% of revenue. And we've been very acquisitive as a company. So we've acquired about 50 companies since I've been CEO seven years ago. And each company that we buy tends to have a higher growth rate. So after one year at anniversaries, and then it becomes part of organic growth.
4: For instance, you had a big uh, acquisition of Right Medical initially. I know people were saying, I don't know how that's doing. It looks like it's killing it.
3: Well, that deal we announced in the fourth quarter, it'll close oh, okay. later on in 2020. So it hasn't closed yet, Okay, but it's a very exciting deal. It's about you know, a, I'm looking at the numbers. The growing. revenue is a billion dollars growing 10%. There aren't a lot of billion-dollar companies growing 10%. We had a five times multiple on, of sales for that company. For MedTech, that's actually a very good price that we're paying. But it did spook some of the analysts a little bit, yeah. just, just, just the size of the deal and in the, the fact that it's going to be a little bit dilutive. If you remember, the last time I was here, we had announced the MAKO acquisition, yeah. which was a little bit dilutive early. And how did that turn it's been out? a complete home run. And
4: that's the robot. Please explain the robotics. Yeah, that's, it's that's robotic
3: assistance uh, surgery for hip and knee replacement. And so now there's no debate. Robotics is here to stay in orthopedics. When we did that deal, it was really the first right. company in robotics-assisted surgery. Now one out of every three of our knees is done with the robot. We have 700 of these robots across the United States. It's been a complete game changer.
4: How would anyone not want a robot? I mean, for instance, like Da Vinci. Some of these things I get, did for the local hospital. I did a pitch for Da Vinci. Sure. I mean, why would I not want to use Mako? I mean, it's got to be an advantage for a hospital
3: that has one. Absolutely, it's been a like I say, a complete game changer. Not only for the patients and for the customers, but even for the hospitals who have it. They've attracted more volume as a result. So Da Vinci is the leader for general surgery or soft right. tissue. MAKO is the leader for hard tissue or bone replacement.
4: Now, uh, neuro uh, is fascinating to me. Uh, it, it's delicate, it's difficult, but I guess you guys are, are doing something that nobody else has done before.
3: Well, this is a very new industry So, for stroke treatment in particular. Yes. So we have three businesses within neuro, but stroke is the biggest one. We call it our neurovascular business. Mm-hmm. So this is endovascular treatment for ischemic and hemorrhagic strokes. So if you have a bulging blood vessel, right. we pack that blood vessel with titanium coils through the femoral artery. Or if you have a clot in the brain, you can pass a stent and pull the stent out. The industry is only about 15 years old. Yeah. It's growing high double digits. We're treating more and more patients. It's life-saving. And also, it can be very debilitating. Even if you do survive a stroke, you could be paralyzed. Uh, with our treatments, you get that treatment done, and you're back to normal life.
4: Okay. Uh, one of the things that uh, always disturbed me about strikers, there's always these guys rumoring that you're going to be bought. You want to be independent. You've been, you have had 40 years of consecutive sales growth. The best record of anyone in the, uh, the, uh, publicly traded.
3: Yeah, we're pretty, it's a pretty remarkable track record if you think about it. We went public in 79, 40 consecutive years of sales growth. Our market cap's now $80 billion. So when we were smaller, sure, we were subject to lots of rumors, but now we're a large MedTech player. It wouldn't be so easy for someone to acquire us. At
4: the same time, you've got so much uh, white space. Uh, emerging markets, you, you work, that you, you're there, but you've got a lot of room. China, too.
3: Absolutely. It's only about 6% of our revenue, emerging markets. But last year, we had the best year since I've been at Stryker in emerging markets. Strong double-digit growth, great performance in China, India, Brazil. Turkey, Russia, all those markets growing beautifully. Now, it took us a few years. We right. made management changes. We actually acquired distributors to get closer to our customers. But they are paying off. And for us, we have a huge runway for growth in emerging markets.
4: Hey, well, let me ask you, sir, a medical guy, and I just, you know, I hate to say this, but like any medical guy, I'm like, just please tell me. Uh, you're in China. Uh, what are you hearing in coronavirus?
3: So right now, it's, it's really early, yeah. and, and it's, it's really that area. We don't have a lot of employees, and we don't have a lot of business right. in that area. Our employees, fortunately, are all safe. Uh, but it, it's such a small por- portion of our overall business that right. it's not going to have much of an impact, I don't think. But it's still too early, really, to, to gauge uh, the impact that it's going to have.
4: No, I just want to talk about the knee business. There was a period during the Great uh, Recession where they actually, knee surgery went down. I mean, it's supposed to be like, I think, the ultimate non-cyclical thing, but how how did it come back and what happened during that period?
3: So knee surgery is elective, right? And if you don't stay on your knee, unlike hip surgery, then you don't have pain. So hip surgery, if you have hip pain, even at night you feel it. Right. If you're off your knee, you don't feel it. Or you could delay it with some kind of a shot, hyaluronic acid or some kind of a shot. You can delay the procedure but ultimately you do need the knee to re- to be replaced. And right now the market's been very robust. It's been growing three, four, five percent each of the last five years. Do you think that's right that it's not? I mean, I,
4: I've always felt that in my college roommate had both knees replaced. I mean, you were kind of not able to do anything.
3: That's the issue, right? So you can delay the knee replacement, but you, you can't get back to playing golf. You can't get back to the activities that you've normally done. But now with Mako robotic assisted surgery, with doing knees without bone cement, there's less pain, faster recovery. The word is spreading that the, that the patients not only have the knee for a long time, but they're they're satisfied. right? There used to be a dissatisfaction rate of around 25% with knee replacements. So you didn't have the full range of motion. It didn't feel quite as natural as a hip replacement, but the surgeries are getting better, and the word is spreading. So you're right. I do believe this will be a tailwind for a long, long time. Yeah,
4: I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, you know, someone who's hopefully not need it, but it's certainly on the it, it's in the tool kit. Well, When
3: you're ready, we'll be able to <laughs>
4: I, I hope I'm not that ready that fast, but you have a great long-term story, and I don't want people, when they see the stock down today, to think anything other than what a, what an opportunity. Yeah. Okay, that's Kevin Lobo, Chairman CEO of Striker. By the way, it's a fascinating company. Go to the website. You'll see all the things they're doing. It's Well, it's Bionic. That Money's back at the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? It's time for the lightning round! Let's start with Jerry in New York. Jerry!
2: Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on AT&T? You
4: know, I didn't think the quarter was nearly as bad as the stock react. stock's down buck fifty. Yields 5.6. I think the safe. I'm actually a buyer here. Let's go to Andrew in Georgia. Andrew! Silicon Yeah, They missed the corner badly in a, in a market where semiconductors are all hitting out of the park, so I have to say stay away. James in Connecticut, James! How you doing, Kramer? I am good, how
2: about you? This the last of the, uh, the characters on TV that uh, really know how to teach. I learned a lot from you. I, uh, That's what we're trying to do, what's, what's, teach every night. What's going I, on? I have one one suggestion, and then I'll give you the stock. The okay. CEO of this company has been uh, working on this for five and a half years. Their FCA approved 25% cardiac care patients improvement. Right. The name of the stock is Amarin, and supposedly Pfizer and uh One other company, I'm looking at it as a takeover. Uh, I don't
4: know about the takeover side, but I totally agree with you in terms of the excitement of the situation and what they've got going. Uh, So uh, count me as a a speculative buyer. Let's go to Anthony in Michigan. Anthony!
2: Hello, Professor Kramer. Yes. Can you tell me if VIR biotechnology is a buy and why and why not?
4: Man, what is that like? That's in, you know, That's a, a biotech stock that I don't know enough to opine on. So I'd rather just say, let me come back. I need to go to Prash in Illinois. Prash.
2: Hey, what's up, Jim? I got a quick question for you a small market cap company called ManQuest. It's about it's up about four hundred percent Yeah, months. I, I so that's that that's stock is time.
4: like quadruplicable quintupled in like five minutes. So I gotta come back on that one too. I'd rather, as everyone knows, when it comes to these biotechs, I'd rather say let me kick the tires than just say, Yeah, that looks good or that looks bad, because that's not what I do on this show. Let's go to Gabe in Florida. Gabe. Who are Kramer? Booyah, Gabe. Twitter has lagged and Facebook for a while now, my man. Do you think uh, Twitter is going to continue to outperform? I don't know, because I'm, you know, I'm watching Facebook fall because the growth is slowing. I'm wondering whether people say that therefore they should buy Twitter because that's a more, opportun- uh, more attractive opportunity. Or it, do people say the web is slowing? So we have to hold that in abeyance. I do happen to think, and was uh, I, my channel trust sold some Facebook. Maybe not enough, but you have such a big gain, and it didn't want to take the taxes. Let me do some more work. Uh, but I do like, I do happen to like Twitter. I do, and I use it a lot, obviously, a lot. Let's go to John in Florida. John.
2: Yeah, hi, Jim. It's been quite a while. It's John K. in Dunedin, Florida. Hey, how you been, John? What's going on? Uh, Jim, uh, can you give me your insight on uh, Rite Aid, RAD? Things? Oh, yeah. I
4: mean, I got, this was a um, a short squeeze when they reported the quarter. It went up big, and then it came back down. Uh, you know what? Look, I, I I like to I can't game short squeezes. What I like is CVS. That's Charlie Victor, not the pathetic CBS, which is now the pathetic Viacom. Uh, CVS is a better buy. Larry Merlot doing a fantastic job there. Let's go to Richard in California. Richard. Hey, what's
2: up, Kramer? Thanks. I'm calling you from Oakland, home of the former home of the Warriors. Yeah, and, the uh, town. Lakers. We call
4: Oakland the town on the show. What's up? Hey, oh, Warriors, oh, right on you.
2: Oh, you're up the to town, yeah. But now I gotta say, go oh, Niners too, since the Raiders are leaving the Vegas. True. But hey, anyway, was calling about uh, Sprout Farmers Market, and yeah. what's going on? It's, well, it's just like
4: the deco- Raiders left and uh, the uh, Warriors left, I think you should leave this stock. It's just certainly not where you want to be. I mean, it's all the worst combination. You're up against Amazon, you got dairy, uh, you got beer, and you've got retail, and you've got store, and you got grocery. In other words, stay away. Let's go to Connor in New Jersey. Connor. Hi, Jim. My name's Connor. I'm from Mountainside, New Jersey. I was curious as to your. I like your. Uh, you have a very good, very good Elks in Mountainside. Yes. All right. <laughs> okay. All right.
2: I was, I was curious as to your thoughts on Lyondale to sell. You know when I saw
4: how well Dow Chemical did, and I got to tr- speak with Jim Fitterling today. He's talking about inventories being very low. I immediately thought, you know what, Lyondale is the way to go. I would be a buyer. And that ladies up conclusion of the Lightning Round.
3: The
2: Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
4: you do when the market's just plain wrong, you have to be bold enough to take the other side of the trade. That's what you do. These mistakes tend to correct themselves, and you want to be there when that happens. Sometimes it takes minutes. Sometimes it takes days. But you got to make a move. I bring this up because the market makes tons of mistakes, especially during earnings season, when there's so much news coming that it's impossible for investors to process it all at once, as we see after the close tonight, where people are trading things crazily. Uh, well, Why don't you look at this stock of McDonald's? I've been following this company forever. Early this morning, when I was trying to suss out the results from Dow Chemical and General Electric, and by the way, half a dozen other companies, McDonald's reported. I immediately focused on same-store sales. Always the ultimate key metric for McDonald's. Boom, they came in at 5% global, U.S. up 6. The number was so good, I thought i would be a typo. The company was kind enough to send me a hard copy, though, and it was no typo. It was the real thing. But when I checked what the pajama traders were doing at McDonald's, now I'm talking about the people who trade before the open while they wear their Dr. Denton footy pajamas. Well, they were selling it. Yep. rather than correctly rally and buying the stock, the stock was down a point and a half. At first, I thought there must be a catch. Maybe I missed something bad in the quarter. But there was no catch. The pajama clowns were just plain wrong. Sure enough, McDonald's stock came roaring back, closing up 2%. Buying in the weakness this morning was like taking candy from a pajama-clad baby. Unfortunately, the market's erroneous judgment on McDonald's has already corrected itself. Let me give you two more where you still have an opportunity. Starbucks and AMD. This morning, I had the privilege of interviewing both their CEOs, Kevin Johnson from Starbucks. He's a Day. I spent hours working on these seven to ten minute interviews. Ask my wife. It's nuts, uh, because what's the point of having this kind of access if I don't ask the best questions for you? And here's what I saw. Both these stocks got hit today, and they don't deserve it. Starbucks reported 5% global growth, 6% in America. Unbelievably good. Only a few years ago, we were worried that this chain could never get back to 4% because of all the newfound competition from the boutique guys, the Blue Bottle, the Cologne, Blue Bluestone Lane. But nope, though. Through its own ingenuity, technology, improvements, longer hours, new products, loyalty programs, Starbucks has clawed its way back on top. The problem? It's got a huge China business, and suddenly everybody's terrified, of course, and maybe even correctly, with the coronavirus outbreak. Starbucks has closed half its doors in the PRC, and the situation over there is too uncertain for management to give a forecast. They called it dynamic. That was all I needed to see. I talked to Jeff Marks, research head for ActionAlertsPlus.com Club, because we own the stock, my Chapel trust, and we knew the stock was going to go lower. We knew it. However, we also knew that the climb was wrong. Why? Because sooner or later, this coronavirus will peak. And when it does, I bet Starbucks goes to $100. That's why I think the stock's a fabulous buying opportunity down here at 86 and change, off of eighty eight today, AMD. Here's a stock that had a huge run from the last quarter to this one. Well, the Costco management sounded circumspect about the future. That gave the weekend investors an excuse to sell after some really good numbers. What's the truth here? AMD's on track to deliver another huge year. It's got a roadmap, it's got the chips, and it's got the demand, especially with the new gaming cycle coming and the endless cloud build-out. AMD was down 6% today, and the lower it goes, well, the more I like it. Both these stocks are wrongly priced. Neither reflects the real story underneath. Can they still go down? Of course. But I'm saying point blank that neither Starbucks nor AMD is priced for the future, which is why you should use any additional weakness to do some buying. Stick with Raymer. when Saudi Nadella said, listen, my shareholders will let me have the right to be able to be carbon negative. Well, you know what? They gave it to him again because what an unbelievable blowout quarter. And then Tesla, they're so far ahead of where we thought they were, well, the people can't stop buying the stock. I wonder if anyone's still short because, oh my, has that been a nasty squeeze. I like I say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Make Money. I'm Jim Craver, and I will see
6: you tomorrow.